Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Been watching the news lately. Uh, I try to take the news in pretty small doses. Um, it, it's funny that last summer, in, in the midst of so much that was going on in the world, uh, actor John Krasinski created a YouTube show called Some Good News, and it uh, began to be a, a bit of a sensation. And that's still apt for us today. Uh, just this morning, I pulled up a couple of news websites to see what some of the top headlines were. And of course, they're covering the winter storm that went through Texas and knocked out power for millions of people. And uh, there are many without clean drinking water uh, as a result of many of the power outages. Uh, there's an airplane whose engine failure sent debris crashing into uh, a neighborhood. Uh, three people were killed at a gun store shooting in the Pittsburgh area. COVID deaths are nearing a half a million, and on and on and on the bad news goes. In the middle of so much bad news and so much negativity in the world, I think there's something, as we saw in a small way last summer with that show, Some Good News, but we're longing for good news. We're longing for a word of encouragement, something that truly is good news. And, and starting this morning, we're going to look at the glory of the gospel, because the word gospel, as you might be aware, literally means good news. And so we want to look at this good news, unpack this good news a little bit. What exactly is it, and why is it such good news? And so we're going to be looking this morning at Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. And the first thing I want us to see is an affirmation from the Father. An affirmation from the Father in verses 9 through 11. And I'm using a clicker, so I'm trying to make sure I'm... Have you ever, have you ever seen a mirror up here? That's why, so I, can, I don't have to like look behind. I can just look in the mirror. It's not because I'm looking at myself. There's not much... It's just for the sake of the slides. So. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So here we see this story of the baptism of Jesus. And what we see in verse 9 is, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So why is Jesus being baptized, and what does all of this have to do with the good news? Well, Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness, Scripture tells us. And in the time of Jesus, baptism would have been a fairly recognized and understood concept. It wasn't brand new to the ministry of John the Baptist. 
people who wanted to convert to Judaism or Jewish people who had fallen away and wanted to recommit themselves to Judaism would go through this practice of water baptism to symbolize that they're washing away their old life and stepping into a new life. And, and so John the Baptist steps into this tradition and is baptizing people, but now he's proclaiming to them the coming of the Messiah. But now we see Jesus coming and being baptized, which is significant because if Jesus wasn't baptized, do you know what we would all be saying now in 2021? Well, Jesus wasn't baptized, so I don't have to be baptized. But this is part of what Jesus has called us to do. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus said, Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That part of the heart of Jesus, as we go and take the message of the gospel, is that baptism is to be an ongoing practice for those who would follow Jesus. To go through this practice of the, this washing ceremony, if you will, of dedicating themselves to Jesus. The official CMA statement of baptism says, Water baptism identifies a person as a disciple of Christ and celebrates the passage from an old life into a new life in Christ. And so just to plug, if you have never been baptized and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I would really encourage you to spend some time with the Lord regarding when he would have you be baptized because I have found for my life that, and I've talked to many others who testify the same, that something shifted in their spiritual life when they were baptized. Something clicked in them, and I think it, it fundamentally comes down to this is the first and most basic act of obedience that Jesus calls to. And if we continually ignore that, it's going to be hard for us to continue on in our journey with Jesus and things going smoothly in terms of our obedience and our intimacy with Christ. So it's a vital part of stepping into the good news, responding to the Father. Then it goes on in verse 10. It says, And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him as a dove. I wonder what that would have looked like to see Jesus coming up out of the water and all of a sudden this bird-like thing comes down and rests upon Jesus. But of course the dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit and it tells us there that it was the Spirit who descended on him in the form of this dove. And this really begins the initiation of Jesus' public ministry. Jesus was about 30 years old when he goes through this baptism. And he lives his life without sin, Scripture tells us, but something seemed to happen. Something officially was commenced at this baptism when the Holy Spirit descends upon him. And now we have a promise. For example, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38... And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Again, baptism. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the progression that Scripture is laying out is that we profess faith in Jesus Christ, accompanied by obedience to baptism, and we are receiving the Holy Spirit when we come to faith in Christ. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But then the passage ends with this beautiful moment of a voice coming from heaven and the Father saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. 
speaking to Jesus, affirming to Jesus that he is the beloved son and the father is pleased with him. And, and that fascinates me because we can overly spiritualize it and say, well, you know, he said it for everybody else's sake. Jesus didn't need to hear that. But as we saw with the temptation of Jesus, or we're going to see with the temptation of Jesus that he was being ministered to by angels. That in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is full of anguish. That the Father finds these moments to affirm who Jesus is as the beloved Son. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. With the gospel, we see this beginning portion of the gospel with the baptism of Jesus, and here we see many principles for us as well. The receiving of the Holy Spirit that's been given to each one of us when we profess faith in Christ. The affirmation of the Father that we are his beloved children. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are a beloved child of God? Because there, there's a part of us that can kind of assent, yes, I believe that, the Bible says it, it's a true statement, but has it really grabbed a hold of us? Has it really overtaken us? I want you to take a moment and just think about that reality. That you are a beloved child of God that he looks upon you right now, says, you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased because of Jesus. That's true of you right now. Regardless of how you've performed this week, regardless of whether or not you checked off all the boxes you think you need to check off, simply as his child, because of Jesus Christ, you are his beloved child, and that will never change. But not only do I want you to invite that to begin to saturate you, I want another reality to saturate you. As you glance around this room, guess what's true of everybody that's in this room who's a follower of Jesus? They are a beloved child of God. The person that might irritate you on, time, on, at a, on occasion, the person who you might disagree with, the person who might rub you the wrong way, they're a beloved child of God. Are they beloved to you? Every person you see when you leave here today, everyone you see today, everyone you see tomorrow throughout this week, is beloved of God because John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Every human being you make eye contact with or even those you don't make eye contact with is deeply loved by God. Are they deeply loved by us? Not only are you deeply loved by the Father, but so is everybody in this room, and so is everyone in this world. And it's that affirmation of the Father that 
becomes the foundation of what the gospel is all about. But the next step in this process is Jesus' identification with man. His identification with man, starting at verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Notice in verse 12 why Jesus goes into the wilderness in the first place. Jesus goes into the wilderness because the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit sent Jesus out into the wilderness where he would be tempted. Sometimes we are prone to think that if we're facing hardship, if we're facing temptation, if we're facing conflict, if things aren't going well in our lives, that I must have, must have misstepped the will of God or, mis- or misheard the heart of God in some way. If we apply that thinking, then Jesus was somehow out of the will of God, but Scripture explicitly tells us it was the Holy Spirit who sent him to the wilderness where he wouldn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights, where he would be hungry, tired, exhausted. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The Holy Spirit didn't drive Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted so that he would fail. The Holy Spirit sent Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted so that he can be victorious. The Spirit sends us to a spot where we face hardships or temptations. It's not because he's trying to destroy us. It's because he intends for us to be victorious. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 validates that no temptation is going to come upon you that you can't handle in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And no matter what the temptation, look at what that promises. He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so that old thinking of, well, the devil made me do it or I couldn't help it, Scripture says otherwise. Scripture says there's always a way out. But do we take that way out? But verse 13 tells us that while he was out in the wilderness, he was tempted 40 days by Satan himself. And I think this brings up a point we should remind ourselves that Satan is not like God. Satan is not all-knowing. Satan is not all-powerful. Satan is not everywhere present. Uh, Three key attributes we know of God. God is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's everywhere present. Those do not apply to Satan. Which the good news of that is Satan doesn't know what you're thinking at all times. He's probably an expert in human behavior and could probably guess, but he doesn't know what you're thinking. He's not all-powerful. He can't do whatever he wants. And he's not... He's not all-knowing, he's not all-powerful, he's not everywhere present. Which the good news for us is Satan probably spends no time with us. There's probably demons, I'm sure, throwing temptations at us, but Satan himself, uh, I'm sure he's got bigger fish to fry than me. But we have to be careful not to attribute the same attributes to Satan that we do to God. 
But Satan himself is here trying to tempt Jesus unsuccessfully. And I think the significance of Jesus being tempted by Satan is echoed in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, where it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted by Satan himself. And throughout the course of Jesus' life, he was tempted in every way, just as we are, but he was without sin. So he becomes the ultimate comforter, the ultimate source of strength when we face temptations. Because he knows and understands what those temptations are like. But in verse 13, it tells us that while this was going on, that the angels are ministering to him. Angels were ministering to him. Angels were comforting him. And I love that angels were ministering to him. We don't need angels to minister to us. How angels still serve some kind of role in that, I don't fully understand. But more than anything, we have Jesus as our advocate. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So not only does the gospel invite us to become beloved children of God, but the gospel also means that we can be victorious over sin. Jesus was victorious over sin at every point. And while Jesus had angels ministering to him in his temptation, we have the Holy Spirit, our advocate, dwelling within us in our time of suffering, in our time of temptation. And if the angels could help Jesus, certainly the Spirit of Jesus can help us in our temptations. The last thing I want to see is the announcement of good news, verses 14 and 15. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. Galatians chapter 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus came into the world in the fullness of time, at the perfect time. And if you look at the cultural, historical setting of when Jesus comes, we realize just how perfect of a time it was for Jesus to come into the world. But I think about the Israelite people who, for generation after generation after generation, were waiting on the promise of God, were waiting for the fulfillment of the promise of, of Messiah, and generation after generation goes by, and there's still no Messiah, but in the perfect time, in the fullness of time, Jesus would come. So the proclamation is the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God being at hand means the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has arrived. Now, it's not negating heaven, but it, it, it ushers us into this now but not yet reality of the kingdom. 
that the kingdom of God is here now, but the fullness of the kingdom is yet to come. And we see Jesus as he performs miracle, saying this is proof that the kingdom of God has come. And so what's the invitation then? It's to repent and believe in the gospel. To turn from one way of living and turn to a new way of living. Again, the invitation of John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. <clears throat> the kingdom of God has come upon us. When Jesus came into the world and demonstrates the reality of the kingdom. So what does the kingdom of God mean in terms of the gospel? It means that there's a new way of living available to us. There's a way of living that's contrary to the ways of the world. There's a new pattern of, of a way to live. There's a new king who's on the throne of our lives. There's a king who says, here's everything the world says you should chase after. I say the exact opposite. There's a new way to live. There's a new way to go about your life. There's a new way to prioritize your life. There's a new way to invest your life. There's a new way of living. And this is what the gospel opens up to us. The good news of Jesus comes to us and says, we can become beloved children of God, cherished by the Father. We can become people who have the Holy Spirit as our strength and our advocate to overcome any temptation that we face in our lives. We have, in the gospel of the kingdom, we have the invitation to live a new way of living, to live a new life under a new king, under new rules. And this is the invitation of the gospel, to repent and believe in this gospel. To say, Lord, I was living for myself. I was living for what I thought was right. I was living for what the world told me I should be living for. But I'm turning away from that, and I'm going to live for you. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. But it means that we keep striving in the direction of Jesus. Now, yes, we have victory over temptation, but Scripture also makes it clear to us that we, along with everyone who's come before us, will still stumble and fall. But the question becomes, what do we do? In the gospel, there's forgiveness. In the gospel, the kingdom says, you sin, get up, let's move on. You don't have to throw in the towel, you don't have to quit, you don't have to walk away. There's new life in the kingdom. There's grace in the kingdom. There's forgiveness in the kingdom. And sometimes this becomes so familiar that we lose the wonder and awe of it all. And I still remember when I first heard the gospel articulated because I began my life thinking that God was just some distant being, that typical just old grandfather with a long white beard just hiding away from the rest of us. And if I did enough good stuff, if I behaved well enough, if I, if I balanced my good deeds more than my bad deeds, then maybe I had a shot at someday having a right relationship with him and spending eternity with him. But then I heard this gospel that I could today become a beloved child of God that I could receive the Holy Spirit who would give me victory over sin, who could give me strength to overcome sin, that I had this announcement of good news, the announcement of a new way to live. 
by trusting in Christ, receiving him as my Savior. Do you remember the first time you heard that news? I'm not sure what went through your mind when you heard it. Maybe you heard it so young that you don't remember anything different, and that's amazing. But if you can recall hearing the gospel for the first time, it's almost like living in a pitch black room and suddenly there's light. Or crawling through the desert and finally finding fresh water to drink. And I pray that as we spend these weeks heading into Easter that there would be a a renewed joy in the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. That we could allow our hearts to be captivated as if we're hearing it for the very first time. The love and grace of the mercy that our Heavenly Father longs to pour out to us as he invites us to come to deeper places in our relationship with him. Let's pray.